as we uh, continue to worship our awesome God, if you have your Bibles with you, please open to Micah. We'll be in Micah chapter 5 this morning. Before we do that, let me open up in prayer. Father God, we just thank you for the chance we have to come and to continue to worship you as we open your word together. Lord, I pray that we would just be in awe and wonder of who you are and what you have done for us. May you remind us through your word of who you are. Lord, I want to preach so that you are indeed glorified, to speak of you and to praise you. And God, there's no giftings that can make this turn out well without, without you, Lord. So by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to the people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. Micah chapter 5 says this. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord in his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When, Assyrian, when the Assyrian comes into our land and, and treads in our palaces, then we will rise against him, seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads into our border." Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, with delay, which delay not for man, nor wait for the child, children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of the sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and will destroy your chariots. And I will cut off the cities of your land, and throw down all your strongholds. And I will cut off sorcerers from your hand, and, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images, and your pillars from among you, and you shall bow down no more to the works of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. And this is the word of the Lord. Right off the bat, you see judgment again. In Micah. Verse 1 is a continuation of verse 4, is a continuing thought. Now muster your troops, O daughter 
of troops, siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. And it continues on. But there's also this amazing but statement in verse 2. See, in verse 1, God is reminding his people that, yes, judgment is coming. There is a siege that is laid to your city. You will lose. You will go ahead. And your king, at this moment, as King Hezekiah, will be slapped essentially in the face. You will be broken. You will be without a king. And, and Israel was without a king for over 500 years. There was no king in the lands. But then we see this promise that's beginning to come through in the texts. It's coming through with this amazing but statement, but you, O Bethlehem, you who are the small, the weakest, from you will rise a, a shepherd king who is strong. We'll see that the shepherd king comes to gather his people together. He is from old, as verse 2 says, from ancient of days. This isn't just some ordinary, everyday man. This is a more than human man. This will be God himself. He will come. He will gather his people and bring them together. But as part of God's plan, Israel will be given up. As Jerusalem falls, they will be without a king. But this is not the end because there is a then statement. There is an after happening here. The king, a king, will come. The promise of fulfilling this promise isn't based on the people, on what the people do, but on who God is. I'm very thankful for this. Because if the promises that God gives me are based upon what I have done, I'm in a lot of trouble. Like, a lot. It's hopeless. Because I can't fulfill any part of that. I can't save myself. But God does. And he fulfills his promises regardless of what the people do. God takes the burden of fulfilling the promise because God will remain faithful even when I don't. And that's a beautiful thing. Because that's hope. Because I, I, I'm hopeless. And my God is hope. So, even though Jerusalem will fall, God will send a shepherd king. And he will gather his people together. And in verse 3 it says, Until that time, when the delay is over, the king who is born will bring a new unity among his people. And I love this part in verse 4 that says, And he shall stand. He's not sitting. He's not lounging in a lazy boy. He's not passive. He's active. He is standing. People who stand are victorious. They are mighty. The shepherd was a symbol of both power and salvation within the ancient cultures. And the shepherd king will be victorious and he leads the people he has gathered together. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, as verse 4 continues on, he is active, he protects his flock. 
in the power and the authority of God himself. And Jesus is the shepherd king who will lead. He will gather. He is the good shepherd who came to gather his sheep to himself to feed them with bread of heaven and to give them living water. He is the complete opposite of the men that we see in the first three chapters who devour his people, who feed themselves off of his people. The shepherd king will come and he will be their provider. He will save them. He will gather them. He will feed them. He will give them living water. Amazing contrast that is happening. He is the one who will heal their wounds. He will protect them by laying down his life for them. The Bible talks a lot about that, that those who God is sanctifying by the Holy Spirit and giving them this this precious gift of faith will persevere to the end. They will continue on. And they will be saved forever. He will nourish his people in faith, repentance, and love, and joy, and hope, and the grace of the Holy Spirit. And even though there will be many storms, there's no lack of storms that we see in Micah, and there's no lack of storms that are in our personal lives, even though there is no lack of storms and floods that will beat against the Christian. They will never be able to be taken from the foundation, the rock, which is by faith that they are fastened upon. You cannot be taken away from your Savior. Once you're His, you're His. You will grow in Christ-likeness. Those who are His don't just continue to stay the same. You grow. But those who are His are His. The people he has gathered are forever secure. He will never cast them out. And they cannot be snatched from his hands. That's an amazing thing. Because I I don't know about you, but I sin. Again, if my relationship with God was purely dependent upon my ability to keep that promise, we're in a lot of trouble. But God is the one who is the sustainer and the author and the finisher of my faith. Once I am his, I am his. And as we continue on in verses 5 to 6, we see this interesting interaction here. It says that this shepherd king, he will be their peace. And that in verse 5 and 6, Assyria comes back, but Assyria will be destroyed. It's an amazing thing. They will be judged. In this passage, there is this tie, though, between sin and Assyria. Just as, sin, just as Assyria will be conquered and defeated, so will sin, through, sin will be conquered through this shepherd king. They will be destroyed. It doesn't matter how strong your sin is. As Israel is reading this passage, they are looking at a kingdom, at an empire that seems undefeatable, that cannot be defeated. They're like locusts going through the land, destroying everything that they have and gobbling it all up. And God says, no, they're going to be destroyed. And so often I think in our lives, when when we look at our sin, we feel so helpless 
that we think that we can't conquer that. And God says, no, that's not the case. I am the one who defeated the sin and death. I have destroyed these things. See, listen to me. If you are in Christ, he has died for your sin. There is no sin that is greater than my Savior. There's no sin that is greater than your sin. No, there's no sin that's greater than our Savior. It doesn't matter how strong that sin is. There is no match for the King of Peace. None. That's why we fight sin. We fight it not in our own strength. We fight it in the strength of our shepherd king who stands in victory. When things seem hopeless, he is, gives us hope. It is Jesus who will deliver the people when he attacks the land. And he has indeed done that. When Jesus goes to the cross for our sins, when, when he died on the cross for us, when three days later he rose again, he was victorious so that anyone, no matter how broken, how dirty, how rebellious, how sinful, how ashamed you are of your life, will have life. We'll have healing. We'll be made clean. We'll be a friend rather than an enemy. We'll be forgiven because Jesus is greater he is mightier. And just as the shepherd king will come and destroy Assyria, God comes and Jesus comes through the cross and destroys sin. So that anyone who confesses that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Savior will be saved. It's not a, hey, maybe. It's a will. And now the attention shifts in verse 7, to, to the lame and the crippled, the scattered remnants, this little group of despicable people. And despite how weak they are, their remnants will be a boon to the nations, like refreshing dew and showers of rain on a scorched earth. You know, the other day, earlier this week, we had some people over and we were sitting outside and it said it was going to rain, but I was like, nah, it's not going to rain. Right? And how many times have people have done those little prayers where they say, God, you know, you know don't make a prayer. Like, it's not going to rain. Let me tell you, it rained. It didn't matter how many times I said it's not going to rain or ask God for it to stop the rain. It rained. And it poured. For a very short period of time, it poured. My grass got greener. The rain didn't ask, and God didn't ask me, hey, you want to get some water? Is it okay if I water this ground? He didn't ask that. God didn't ask that. The rain didn't ask that. It rains. Just as dew and rain doesn't wait for us to consent to it coming, so the refreshment for the nations will come through the people of God. The remnants will be like dew, like rain to a scorched earth. The people of God will come and bring refreshments. The Bible talks about this all the time. As Christians, we're here to relieve the suffering of the poor and, and the widows and the orphans. James says that that is good religion. Yes, 
Anyone who comes to you and says, hey, religion's bad, the Bible uses the word religion as, and defines what good religion is. We come and we are refreshments. And God's blessing is irrevocable. God will continue to bless his people and the nations will be in turn blessed by them. And it continues on in verses 8 and 9 that the remnant of Jacob will, will be among the nations and God will rise up leaders and they will go in there and destroy everything. And like a lion, they will come and the, this weak and, 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 and feeble and, and desolate remnants and group of people will be like a lion, like a young lion, and they will be the ones who will go and devour their hands, God will lift up their hands over their adversaries and, and their enemies will be cut off. See, just at the start, we see two verses in verses 1 and 2 that show both judgment and promise. It shows God's faithfulness to his people. Even though Judah and its leaders had disobeyed God's covenant, he remains faithful to his promise and the coming of the shepherd king from this small backwards town called Bethlehem. His name is Jesus Christ. We don't need to fear our enemy. Look, Assyria was not able to withstand. You're Nathan. Hey, I'm Nathan. Yep. I'm Nathan. Thanks, Siri. We don't need... <laughs> We don't need to fear our enemy. Just like I don't need to fear Apple. <laughs> See, look at this text. Assyria comes along and not, was not able to withstand. We know through history that Assyria was destroyed. God's promises came true. It happens. Assyria was annihilated. God's judgment came and poured out on them. Look at Assyria. Look at the promises of God. The gates of hell will not be able to withstand our attacks. We need to remember that. As a church, as the church in, in North America, I think we act like uh, that the gates of hell are going to prevail. But God gives us a promise. And he says that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. What does that mean? What are gates used for? Defense. They're not an offense weapon. You don't carry your gate and run, unless you're Samson, okay? But you don't carry, you don't carry your gates off and, and, and use them in a, in a battle. They're defense. And Jesus comes and says, they will not prevail against what? The church getting up off of their bums and charging the rusty gates of hell. That is what we're called to do. Just as God annihilated Syria, the gates of hell will not prevail. And so I get afraid sometimes because they look big, but they're paper mache in comparison to our shepherd king. Our king has defeated this already. We rest in him and what he has done. We need to remember that the gospel is an aroma of God to two types of people. It is a fragrance of death to those who continue in their sin because it tells them without Jesus, you're going to hell. 
but one of life to those who repent. It is our job to be like the dew, a blessing in verse 7, wherever we go, but it's our job to also be an unstoppable enemy of evil. Any success that happens, though, is purely the work of God. Because we are a remnant, we are a despicable group of people, aren't we? And God takes us and gathers us together. And he says, charge. It won't be easy. It'll be hard. But he says, charge. The community of Christ is a community that a shepherd king is exerting his will and power over. Jesus is the shepherd king who will gather his people as he has promised he will do. Our journey through this fallen world is filled with joys, but also with sorrows and pain. We know this. But our hope is sure. Our true home is in heaven. And one day that true home will come to earth and reinstate Eden without the trials and burdens we have today. And as a king, he will make his people more like him. Because as a shepherd king who gathers, he also purifies his people. And we see this in Micah 10 verses, 5, verses 10 to 15. In that day, in those days of our true home, at the end of history, this is what will happen. This is some crazy stuff. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you and will destroy the chariots and I will cut off the cities of your land and and throw down all your strongholds. Wait a second, God. How is this a blessing? You're going to take our cities and destroy them. You're going to take our chariots and take them away. But what happens when we have military might? Do we trust in God or we trust in the horse? And God says, no longer are you going to be trusting in these things. No longer are they going to be there. I will be the one who you will trust in. Military might will not be what you trust in, in your ability to deliver. You will trust in the God who will deliver. See, even in the Old Testament, David got in trouble for taking a census. And he got in trouble for taking a census because he was putting his trust in how many armed men he had rather than the God who would promise that he would deliver them. How often do we take things that God has blessed us with and put our trust in that? How often do we take the gift and elevate it above the giver, as John Piper would say? And God says at the end of time, they will be gone. I will take all of those hindrances, all those things that we struggle with, and they will be gone. You'll just be able to trust in me. Continues on, even in verse 12, the sorcerers and fortune tellers, they will trust God, that they've been trusting God in, will be gone. They will trust in the sovereignty of God. And remember, trying to figure this out when I was in Sunday school, because I'm one of those Sunday school kids, okay? And in the Old Testament, we see Saul approaching a, a sorceress. And he gets in trouble for that. But the sorceress actually gave the, the right information. I'm like, oh, but I've always been taught growing up that sorcery and fortune-telling are sin, right? We agree, okay? 
The reason why there is sin is not that, not that they can't happen, but that is putting your trust in something else rather than the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. And I have to trust him as we move forward. That God's got it figured out. That the pain that I got right now, the suffering that's going on in my life, God is using that for my good. Because the best thing for my life is to grow in Christ's likeness, to be more like Christ. And God will come at the end of times and no longer are we going to be trying and figuring out what our future holds, but we will trust in God who orchestrates it all. And all of these things will be destroyed and the temple will be lifted higher and God will rule and the nations will come and meet God and have their spears and swords turned into farming equipment like we saw in verses in chapter 4. But those who will not submit themselves to Jesus Christ very clearly says they will be judged. The word for revenge shows a, a judicial decision for a sovereign Lord who judges with justice, whose character is just, who is the ruler. And without such final action, his rule would not be just. We struggle with this sometimes. Oh God, how could you judge people? How could you throw them into hell? How, how could that be possible? The reality is, if God did not judge, he would not be just. We understand that. How often have you watched the news or read the news in the newspaper and some criminal got off with like a slap on the hand? And, you're, and what are your words? That's not fair. That's unjust. Our God is just. Perfectly. And we get what we deserve. And that's what grace is. Grace is getting, grace and mercy is getting what we don't deserve. Outside of Jesus, outside of those who obey, judgment awaits. To reject what Jesus has done for you is to reject the rest that comes through him being your shepherd king. And when we look at these five verses, these last five verses, it really shows the importance of trusting God and trusting him alone. It shows things of, of faults, of those things that we just trust in that are false news. If it be military might or idolatry, they will all be destroyed. But it also shows that salvation will come only by trusting in the shepherd king. It doesn't make any sense to trust in anything or anyone else. So what are you putting your trust in this morning? Are you resting in the rule of the shepherd king? You know, for us at Knollwood, we're always in danger of trusting in our own strength. Always. Budgets, programs, strategies, church growth, movement. And looking to other sources of wisdom and knowledge that aren't from the Bible or replacing the living God with idols like young, good-looking guys like me. Great buildings, which we've definitely been blessed with. Traditions. But they really are just showing how our failure, how much we fail at trusting our living God and the Holy Spirit. 
if we are going to be effective witnesses to those outside, God comes in and he cleans house so that we can shine brighter for him. He takes away all those things that hinder. Like cleaning silver. And people go, oh, Pastor Nate, you're too young to be cleaning silver. Oh, let me tell you. I've cleaned silver. Incredibly annoying. It's dirty. When you let it go for too long, it gets all grummy and grunge and doesn't shine, doesn't sparkle anymore. But what happens when you start cleaning it? It begins to shine. It begins to reflect that light. God comes into our hearts when we submit ourselves to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He comes in and he starts cleaning house. And when you start getting rubbed over and over and over again, that's a painful process. But the outcome is what? A beautiful peace that reflects the glory of our God. We become beacons of light shining into the darkness, waiting in hope for the day in which God's light would light up the entire world. So what? Jesus comes as a shepherd king to lead, to gather, to restore, and to cure his people. Are you resting in the rule of the shepherd king? And does your life show that Jesus is indeed your shepherd king. Let us continue to praise and to worship our awesome God.